As Pastor John said earlier, we're starting a new series, and who knows how long this series is going to go. It's uh, the book of the 12. There's 12 different um, what's called minor prophets, and they're only called minor because they're, they're shorter. They're shorter than the, what they call the major prophets. Um, and uh, just before we jump into the text today, just wanted to kind of go over, you know, why the book of the 12? Why, why go here? You know, we don't just, you know, randomly choose, you know, books of the Bible. We, we think about it, we pray about it, we talk about it, and then we kind of come to where we really think the direction should be. Well, one of the reasons is because the book of the 12 are the prophecies that largely given to Israel and Judah. And Israel and Judah were people that started out in this covenant with God, but they soon rebelled. And the rebellion took the form of this big fancy word you're going to hear again and again throughout this year, and you heard it last year, and it's the word syncretism. Syncretism. We talked about it last week. We were talking about Colossians. And syncretism is, is when I take Christianity and then, you know, or I even take who Jesus is or who, who God is or what salvation is, and I take it and I kind of reshape it to fit into what I already believe or what I already do. And, of course, this leads to big problems because... Instead of allowing the gospel of Jesus Christ and instead of seeing God transforming my life, I'm trying to change God. And that's what the people of Israel had done. Through the prophets, partly in this book of the 12, they are being encouraged to be faithful. And we're going to understand that faithfulness is not just have this one great moment of faith, but this consistent faithfulness. Their, their prophets warn them of the judgment that's going to come if they don't kind of get, you know, get this right. They don't come back to the covenant. And then even in the, the midst of judgment, and when we look at the opening chapter of Hosea, it is like, this is not judgment that could come. This is judgment that is coming you are not going to escape it. Even then, the prophets communicate this message of hope, of restoration and reconciliation. The covenant that God establishes with Israel, you know, way back when we read in um, as, as early as Genesis and then, of course, into Exodus, that covenant is never going to end. However, who specifically that covenant is with will change because that covenant was always based on God's relationship to the people who are faithful. And what's going to happen is in the midst of this this judgment, and this is just one judgment, there's going to be repeated judgments that that come upon Israel and Judah, that in the midst of the judgment, as, as harsh as it is, and you might even ask the question, God, why did you do that? Why did you go that far? Because in the midst of the judgment, the remnant, the faithful, they're revealed. The faithful arise. They're always there, but unfortunately, they're often the minority. And they're trying to live faithful to the covenant, but they're the minority. They're the minority both in, num- in terms of number and also in terms of position. They're not the kings. They're not the powerful. They're not the religious leaders. But when judgment comes, what we see in Israel's history again and again is that the faithful remnant arises. And you still might be thinking, what does this have to do with us? Why, why the book of the 12? Why now? I'll tell you why. Because I think God has been doing incredible things in our church. You may not notice it. Maybe you're kind of new here. Maybe you just aren't paying attention. But a lot of really good things are happening here at our church. People are, are just becoming more and more like they want to know God's word. 
They want to understand the gospel. They want to, to be in community and build relationships. And then they want to be able to serve together. It's awesome. God's brought this church through some difficult times, times that began before I even got here. When I was asked to come here, I was told, like, this church had gone through some trauma and was still recovering from it. God has brought this through some difficult times. Our church, along with so many other churches, went through the difficult times of of what happened with COVID. But what was amazing during that time was the commitment of our church to still be the church, not use COVID as an excuse not to be the church. I am so glad that our church, we, we met throughout the entire COVID period, and the only time we didn't meet in person here was for about six weeks because there were so many people that, that, that understood the importance of the church being gathered. Many others were able, and again, it's a blessing of God where we were able to minister online. Our ministry online expanded so much to the point that I think even today we have, we have you know, so many people who connect with us more online. We still have work to do, but we're seeing fruit of faithfulness to God's word. And it's during these times of abundance in Israel's history, that's when they began to fall. During the times of abundance, that's when they, they wanted to figure out, like, God's been blessing us because we've been faithful to the covenant. You know, how can we get more? How, how can we even help God out here? And so what they would do is they would make these alliances with these um, other city-states or other nations around them. And of course, to make an alliance, what do I got to do? Well, I might marry one of the daughters of one of the kings. I might, you know, show my tolerance by worshiping their gods, even participating in their worship. I'm doing things that I think are going to continue the blessing. I'm doing things that I think kind of I should do now that God has blessed me and allowed me to have some influence. But in fact, it was syncretism. It was an abandonment of God. It was an abandonment of being faithful. Even to the point that that they were willing to engage in, in some of the religious practices that were expressly forbidden in Scripture. One of the practices that you, would, that you find in the Canaanite religions, and you might think like, well, of course people are going to make them look as bad as possible. But we know that the Canaanites were not the only ones who did this. Even in Israel, we have the concept of when you sacrifice to God, and in their day it would have been some kind of animal, when you sacrifice to God, you didn't just go and look for your weakest, most sickly lamb and say, okay, let's sacrifice that lamb. It's going to die anyways. No, you you chose your best. Well, that kind of concept in the Canaanite religions was what is the most precious thing we have? What is the most precious thing we have? It's our children. So what would they do? They would sacrifice their children. They would place babies on, a, on an altar that had been heated up. Because in their minds, that's what they had to do to keep their gods happy. And Israel, instead of continuing to be faithful to the covenant, wanted to find a way to kind of fit in that world. Instead of seeing their job as helping the rest of the world to understand that's not the way you should, you know, if you have gods like that, that's not a god worth worshiping. How about the God, the one true God, who gives you the way that you can live and the way that you can have a fair and just 
society that's based on his love. They didn't see that. Instead, syncretism came. What will happen to us if God continues to bless us or if 2024 is another year that maybe there's, there's, there's struggles that come that we don't even know are coming? Are we going to want to kind of syncretize, compromise with the world? Well, one of the reasons we want to look at the book of the 12 is because we need constant reminders to be faithful to God and his ways and not the ways of the world. We need, during both good times and bad times, to never presume upon God's grace. And as we study, beginning here with Hosea, my prayer is that we do not fall prey to temptations that abundance and success can bring. And instead, that we will look to remain faithful to God in all situations. Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, it says this, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will, have, I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Now you might be thinking, wait, we just said Happy New Year, and then you read this passage of Scripture, right? Sounds kind of down. I will tell you that in, in the midst of this judgment, there's this incredible statement of hope. Before we get there, you know, I think what the people of Israel in this time, the ancient Israelites, struggled with is the same thing people struggle with today. And that is that most people do not want a full, healthy relationship with God. They want a relationship with God. If, if they still want to believe in a God, they want some kind of relationship with God. But they don't want a full, healthy relationship with God. Certainly not the God that we find in Scripture. And some of this is because maybe they've been told the wrong things about who God is, what Christianity is, what the gospel is, what it means to follow Jesus. But some of it is just human nature. Now, some of you can probably sympathize with this, and again, don't look at your spouse if they're here, but some of you might have married someone that is always right, or at least always thinks they're right. And you know it's really hard to be with someone who's always right. Well, if you're in a relationship with God, guess what? He's always right. You're never right. The only time you're right is when you agree with him. People don't like that. They want to be like, hey, that's, come on, God, there needs to be a little more give and take. Can't we discuss this? Can't you take some of my ideas? We don't like that kind of thing in our relationships. We, we at least want there to be like some things that, that we 
you know, that, that we can be the one that, that has the right idea that, that helps. Other people, they, they, they don't want a full, healthy relationship with God, but they want a relationship where, where God will give them, you know, what they want or get them out of trouble. They want a God who will be there when there's a battle, but when the battle's over, God needs to go somewhere else. They, 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 they want God to be there when they're struggling, when they're having a hard time, when, when they're not sure where their next paycheck is going to come from. God, be there, help me, save me, when their marriages are falling apart. God, help me. But as soon as that crisis is over, okay, God, thanks, see ya. I mean, we treat them kind of like we treat like doctors or like EMTs. If that, if you're struggling, the ambulance comes to your house and the emergency personnel helps you and you go to the doctor, you don't, you know, you go to ER and all that, you don't tell the doctor after that, you know what, can we exchange numbers so, you know, we can start hanging out together? Now we're like, good, doctor did his job, EMT did their job, nurses did their job, okay, I might say thank you, but I'm moving on. And they're probably quite happy you're moving on. But that's not the kind of relationship that God wants, and it's not the kind of relationship that we need. And ultimately, what this kind of boils down to is, we don't want a full, healthy relationship with God because we would rather live according to the ways of the world than the ways of God's love. Even though, as we looked at in our Sunday school this morning, we can look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit, and we can look at the list of what it means to live by the flesh, and everybody without, without you know, any disagreement would say, I would rather be in a marriage that is, that is full of the fruit of the Spirit and not one that has, you know, what comes from the flesh. I would rather be in a family that's marked by the fruit of the Spirit. I would rather my workplace, my neighborhood, my nation, my world be like what's in the fruit of the Spirit than, what's, than, than what I see in, the, in the, the walking by the flesh. Even though we, we all want that, there's something within us that says, I would still rather live according to the ways of the world. Some of you have watched friends, family members, live according to the ways of the world. And it leads to emptiness. It leads to depression. It leads to to substance abuse, so many things, and they are so bent on doing that rather than accept the life, the full life that Jesus Christ offers. You see, there's a double penalty when we don't want to live God's way. There's this double penalty that happens one is, is we lose the blessing of his love in our lives. We lose the blessing, the, the joy, the peace, all that comes from his love in our lives. We, we no longer can see it or appreciate it in the people around us. But the other thing we lose is we lose the blessing of healthy communities. We lose the blessings of health, healthy churches. When we want to do things our way, we not only don't receive and really embrace the love that's given to us, we can't really establish healthy communities the way that God would have that happen. God gave the laws to Israel. And if you think about Israel, what's happening in Israel, by the time of Hosea, it's been going on for several hundred years. But when, when the laws are first given to, to Israel through Moses, 
Israel had just come out of slavery, and they're just months out of slavery. They're not a nation. They don't have a hierarchy. They have nothing. They are a, a, a loose confederation of tribes. And within each tribe, you know, there were leaders, but they are in no way a nation. And they're, they're going from Egypt. They're going from Egypt to what the land that God had promised for them. This is happening in a matter of just a few months. And they're given the law. And the law is God's act of grace and love to these people. These are people that, they're not warriors, they were just slaves. These are people that are not a nation. They don't have all of this, this you know, all of the, the leadership and, and, you know, generation after generation of, of having all this national confidence and success. And they're about to go in to battle. God, out of, out of his love and his grace for them, says, this is the way you can be a stable, healthy society. A stable, healthy society that is founded on my love. A society that will prosper. And we see that Israel is able to develop and kind of get to this point where, where under King Solomon, they're probably the most dominant power in that region. But even under Solomon, we see the cracks start to happen. And eventually, as soon as Solomon dies, the kingdom splits into two. Israel prefers the world of politics, angry gods, child sacrifice, sexual immorality, assassinations. You can read on the list of the kings of Israel, like there's, there's stretches where like virtually every king is assassinated. And there's a rapidly growing economic gap between the powerful, the haves, and the have-nots. By the time Hosea comes around, centuries have passed. We have the two kingdoms, and the one he's going to address first is the northern kingdom that kept the name Israel. And the northern kingdom is, has been under um, the dynasty of, of Jehu. And you can go and read in 2 Kings about how a century earlier, Jehu had overthrown the evil Israelite king Ahab. And he's actually commended for that. And we're going to see in this text that now, hundred something years later, Jehu had his house, even though he's died, his descendants have fallen into the same sin that Ahab has. And in fact, they perhaps even became worse. So judgment is going to come on the house of Israel. They have so abandoned the covenant. They have become so much like the, the nations and city-states around them that they, there's really no difference. Judgment is going to come. The Assyrian Empire, it's been on the rise. And it's about to begin this very aggressive push to expand its borders. The world sees that as, you know, the rise of an empire. The Bible sees that as God using Assyria to judge Israel. And again, we will talk about syncretism because that's one of the things that, it's kind of a common theme through the book of the Twelve. But why is syncretism so so? bad? Why is it really one of the worst sins? And I think it's because 
what syncretism does is it, it redefines, it keeps the language of Christianity. It can even keep the scriptures. It can keep the words of the doctrine, but it re- redefines it in such a way that now you can feel like you're following Christianity, but what's really happening is, is you have something that's masquerading as true faith. To kind of like, you know, use a different little metaphor, it gets into the DNA of Christians. It gets into the DNA of churches. It's not like a cancer that you can just cut out the cancer. No, it's deeper. And what's difficult is that it often goes undetected. I will tell you that I am pretty confident if we sat down and talked about different things that eventually we could come up with a list of even things that we believe are Christian but are actually some form of syncretism. Or some syncretism is worse than others. And again, this isn't talking about Christianity changing or faith changing as cultures change. Christianity does change. But Christianity changes not in terms of its, what, it, what the beliefs are, what the doctrines are, what, what the gospel is. It changes in terms of, you know, where we worship, what we wear, what we sing, instruments we use. Culture will influence those things. That's not what syncretism is. Syncretism isn't the fact that instead of using a piano and an organ, we use a guitar. No. It's when we want to modify the gospel. We want to modify who Jesus is. We want to modify our essential beliefs. Hosea is called to proclaim God's judgment in a, like for us, it's a very unusual way. God would often tell the prophets, don't just say it, you're gonna, you're gonna show it somehow. So when we go back to this text, the first thing he says is, you're gonna show it in your marriage. You're gonna show it in your marriage and you're going to declare the message, the prophecy, in the names of your children. Again, for us, it seems kind of weird. But you have to understand that this is not a, it's not a literate culture. This is primarily an oral culture. This is a culture where stories and images are much more powerful than they can be in, in, in our culture. The spoken word is very powerful as opposed to the written word. So he's, he's told to do this, and the first thing he's told to do, and the ESV translation, it's, you know, it's really difficult to translate some of the things that he's told to do. So, but he's told to either marry, he's told to marry either a woman who has, who's kind of promiscuous, like kind of has like the tendencies that you know like someday, you know, she's going to, you know, cheat on, on Hosea or someone who's already doing it. There's a lot of arguments one way or another. For our purposes, that's where it begins. And then he says, you're going to have these children. And he's very careful to say, like, like the time frame of the children. And that's really important because the delivery of this prophecy takes like 9, 10, 11 years. It's not like... God, why couldn't they just have triplets and then you just name each one of the kids and then everything can get moving on? It's like, no. It's part of God's grace. Part of God's grace is that every two to three years, this new baby is born and given this really weird name and people are wondering what's going on and Hosea is telling them, why is that grace nothing else. It's time, to, it's at least opportunity to repent, opportunity to prepare. The first name, Jezreel, the, that's, 
not so weird in what it means. Jezreel was a, was a place name. And when I told you about Jehu's defeating Ahab, it happened at Jezreel. In fact, a lot of like major battles happened at Jezreel. It's a valley. And it's going to happen in the future. Some of you might have heard of Armageddon. Armageddon refers to the same place. But he's, he, he tells him, like, name your first child Jezreel. And I'm going to punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. What is he saying? He's not saying I'm going to punish you because a hundred years ago you wiped out King Ahab. It's like, no, I'm going to punish your house because you're doing the same things that King Ahab did. Same things. And you should know better because you were actually used to, to get rid of the evil king. The second is no mercy or no compassion. No mercy, no compassion. Again, if the kid was going to grow up to be a professional wrestler, pretty cool name, right? You'd want that kid to be named No Mercy. You know, I'm going to go take out whoever. But really, in their day, it's, it's a weird name. It's a strange name. No compassion, no mercy. And God says through Hosea, why? I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. Israel had kind of adopted this theology that became very common in that time. And even Judah has the same theology. And the theology was this. We are God's people. We're his covenant people. He's obligated to protect us. We live in the holy land, the promised land. He is obligated to protect this land. Jerusalem is here, and that's the holy city. And in there is the temple where God's presence would come. He is obligated to take care of us. He will protect us. He will defend us. And it's wrong. They had forgotten that the covenant was conditional. God's not saying, I am obligated to take care of you no matter what you do. It's conditional. And they had so obliterated the covenant It's like it didn't even exist. I'm sure they kept up some form of sacrifice. But they no longer understood what it meant. And then the last two names. One is a name given to the child and the other is the name given to um, that God takes upon himself. And together they make this very, very powerful message. And the name to the child is not my people. Not my people. And the name that it, that it says at the end, not your God. Not your Yahweh. Why is this so important? It's God just stating with you, northern kingdom, with you Israelites that have abandoned the covenant, I am no longer in covenant with you. It's over. And so in the names of the, of the children, the message is delivered. But I tell you, there's some hope here. The first place we, we see the hope is in verse um, 6, 6 and 7, where after it says, no mercy, then it says, I will have mercy on the house of Judah. Remember, Judah is part of Israel. Judah had been doing some of the same things as Israel, but not yet to the same degree. Judah will face judgment, but the judgment they're going to face is not total destruction that Israel will face. Instead, they will face the judgment of just being under Assyrian rule, of having to pay taxes and tribute to Assyria. 
So they're still being judged, but because they haven't gone to the same degree of abandoning the covenant as, as the northern kingdom, they're spared this destruction. But God is really clear. You, northern kingdom, you who have totally abandoned the covenant, and especially you, house of Jehu, who were responsible for keeping the people on the covenant as your, your father, Jehu, established a hundred years earlier. You, there is no mercy. I'm going to point you to one more thing. We're in the midst of this. There is hope. It's in verse Again, back to verse 6. And it's a strange kind of thing in Hebrew, and it's to the point that the English translations don't know what to do with it. But if we take it for what its most plain, direct translation is, it says something that seems kind of weird. But if we understand the context of God and the context of the statement, then, then we, we can understand it. Where it says, call her name no mercy, for I will have no mercy on the house of Israel, but I will forgive Israel. It's weird. No mercy, you're going to forgive. Seems almost contradictory. But it's not contradictory if we understand that what, when we think of something like Israel, or we think of the northern kingdom, we, we don't think of it in terms of anything other than, okay, that's, a, that's a, some kind of nation. The nation is going to fall. But in that nation, there were faithful Israelites, faithful to the covenant. Through the judgment, there will be Israelites who maybe were, had, had just abandoned the covenant who are going to return to the covenant. And in this very kind of stark way, the Old Testament sometimes puts things side by side. No mercy, I will forgive. It's not God being wishy-washy. It's God letting you know the two parts of his heart. There is justice there is judgment that's going to come upon those who, who have been unfaithful. But there is forgiveness. There is mercy for those who would repent. In fact, as we'll see as we go through Hosea, it's not just forgiveness. There is restoration Restoration of the faithful remnant as the people of God. Here's a few points that we, we get from this text. The first thing is God knows what fallen humanity is prone to do. It's not a surprise to God when the Israelites abandon the covenant. That's why I think what Gomer represents when this isn't supposed to be Hosea is God and Gomer is Israel, but it is, Gomer represents in the Israelites this, this tendency, this, this, this kind of being drawn towards the ways of the world. That if they don't stay faithful and true to the covenant, they will inevitably end up in idolatry, end up in syncretism, end up in sexual immorality, end up in all of the other problems that are plaguing the, the people around them. God's not surprised by this. If you ever want to kind of just ask yourself this question, why when God establishes the law for a good, healthy society, does he simultaneously give them a sacrificial system? Well, he gives them the sacrificial system because he knows they're going to mess up. The sacrificial system is what you do when now, you know, because you're going to mess up. If, if he didn't think they were going to mess up, no need sacrificial system. It's not a surprise to God. 
and, and it's not exclusive to Israel. As I've said already, human beings are all kind of the same. We want a God who will win our battles, meet our needs, but we don't want a God to tell us how to live. We want a Bible that makes us feel good and encourages us, but we don't want a Bible that says this is the best way to live. If my life is relatively good, I really don't need much from God. What we, what we fail to understand, and I don't always know why we fail to understand this, and I think part of it is just because we don't see enough examples of this in this world. But we, we fail to, to realize or accept that, that God has won the most important battles. When we live the way that God has, has placed there for us, the most important battles are won and our most important needs are met. And we see this when the church is healthy because what we find is we find lives that have been, that have been rescued from the world, rescued from sin, and now together can be immersed in God's love. We can have healthy relationships where his love abounds. Our greatest needs are met. Our most important battle has been won. And we get to live out the victory. But human beings... Even, even when we become Christians and we have tasted and seen the goodness of God, we're still drawn back to the world. We're still drawn back to the sin. Because it's, as, you know, as I said a couple weeks ago, we've dressed it up. It, it, we don't call it sin anymore. We call it being your own man, being your own woman, living your own life, free to make your own decisions. You know, live out your dreams, follow your heart. The second thing we see is that faithfulness to God is shown daily and it's not dependent on some great act in the past. The Jehu dynasty couldn't say, God, you should take care of us because see what we did a hundred years ago? No, keeping the covenant, it means to be faithful from the beginning to the present into the future. There's a, there's a word that kind of is a synonym for faithfulness, and it's this, this idea of being like consistently reliable. We are, we are not just saying, God, I'll be there when there's a really important battle to be fought. Then I'll show up. Or, you know, like, you know, when there's a big event at the church, I'm all in for the big event. But you know, the rest, day-to-day kind of stuff, you know, I don't really, I'm not into that. I don't really want to be a community, build relationships with people. But hey, you got a program, I'm going to be there for that program. No. It's being consistent. It's being in this covenant And what we need to remember is that if we, what's different between our covenant and the covenant that's with Israel is that the new covenant is not based on what you or I have done or what you and I will do. The new covenant is based on what Jesus Christ has done, what he accomplished on the cross, and what he continues to do today. What we have, that the ancient Israelites didn't have, is we have the righteousness of Christ and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If we put this into action at our church, I would just say it's that we would seek to be faithful. We'd be faithful in the now, in the moment, today, to grow in our faith. 
but also to live out this faith more in this church and in our world that we would experience growth. Here's some questions that go along with this. What evidence is there in 2020, 2023 that you grew in your faith? Are you a stronger Christian today than you were in January of 2023? What is the evidence of that? What is different? How have you grown in your understanding of Christianity today than from a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? And what is different about how you live out your life? How is the way you live out your faith today, how is that different from how you've lived it out for the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Because if there's growth, there will be change. You know, one of the things I was told when I came here to the church was that some people were like, man, we got to get more young people in the church so, you know, so they can do the work. You know, we need to get more young people, young families in the church so they can do the children's ministry. And the, the concept that was kind of behind that was, you know, we've done our duty. We've done our work. We just want to retire at the church now. We just kind of want to just be here. And I didn't say this to them then. I just did the, you know, thank you for your thoughts kind of an idea. But here's what I want to say. If you believe that you've had a season in your life where you served in a certain way and now you need to let others serve in that way, you need to ask this question. So what way are you going to serve now? And I don't care if you're a teenager becoming a college student, a college student moving into like young married, young families. I don't care if you're an adult that's that been, been working and now you're retired or you're an older person. We, if we're going to say, I'm, I, I'm done with this ministry, this, that was great for that time, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? God doesn't have a retirement plan. We don't retire from ministry. And all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are ministers. The other points that we see here, God will judge those who reject him. But he is always ready to forgive those who repent and remain faithful. We saw that in verses 6 and 7. God is full of grace, but he's also holy. God will deliver on all of his promises the blessing and the judgment. But what's been consistent about God from the beginning of creation till today is that God is ultimately seeking those who will turn from their sin, turn to Jesus, follow him, Judgment will come, but even judgment has the purpose of revealing the righteous. It doesn't mean the righteous won't suffer. They will suffer. But they will demonstrate their righteousness by being faithful even in suffering. And what's going to grow, and we'll see this throughout the Minor Prophets, is that the people God will forgive and reconcile, the faithful remnant is going to grow beyond just Israelites, faithful no matter where they're from. And as Christians, what we know is that we, we've been given the righteousness of Christ. We are no longer condemned but you still have to understand, as Christians, we still will face judgment for individual sins. Oh, it's not the same judgment as, as you, know, you know, being separate from God in eternity, hell. But it is judgment. And God is not obligated to spare you from the consequences of your sin. He might forgive you, 
but you still might face the consequences. You see, God wants us to follow him, not simply because he's holy and just. He's not like, hey, I'm holy and just, you should follow me. Yes, he is holy and just, and we should follow him. But he wants us to follow him because his ways are the best way that we can live and that we can experience existence in its fullness. His way is the way that he created us to live. As far as an action point, I would just tell you this. Ask God to reveal any way that you are holding on to the ways of the world rather than fully following the ways of God. The last point is simply this. People should never, never presume that God is obligated to bless them or care for them. We saw this in verse 9. We see the broken covenant in the names, not my people, not your God. He's not really breaking the covenant with them. He's simply stating what the Israelites have already done. They had forgotten that the covenant required their faithfulness. God will ultimately work to reconciliation, but sometimes judgment has to come first. I would ask you, your act, the action point is, are you presuming upon God's grace? Are you expecting him to somehow bless you or take care of you, even though you've decided to only kind of partially follow him or not follow him at all? The question that I think should be before us as we go through the, the book of the 12 and through Hosea is, you know, how do we stay faithful to God whether in times of abundance or times of difficulty. One is we stay faithful to learning, preaching, teaching, living out God's word. We've been talking about that for years now. The second thing is that we would express and display God's love in all our interactions, all our relationships, all our activities at this church that our goal would be to express and display God's love. I love like when we have stuff like last night. It's not a big agenda for last night, just an opportunity for the church to be together. The church to show their love for each other just simply by showing up, sharing a meal together. Those of you who struggle with that, I don't know what to tell you, except get over it. Come be a part of the community in that level. And the last thing is to continue to foster, to foster the community of disciples of Jesus who have a growing love for God, for each other, and a growing desire to bring salvation, God's salvation to the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ.